welcome back. Welcome to you and welcome to Damon Amendolara, who has been on, let's see, a whole bunch of radio stations to find himself now over on Satellite Radio, host on Mad Dog Radio. And I got to be honest, this is the most amount of Damon's I've ever had on my show. What's the most <laughs> amount of Damon's you've ever had on yours? Maybe when you joined me, when I was doing overnights on, on CBS Sports Radio and I had you on to talk a little Bay Area sports, I, I haven't had Damon Berryhill on. I haven't had Damon Stoudemire on. So I think this is the most Damon's I've, I've been a part of as well, which is very exciting. I got a phoner with Damon Waynes, who was coming to a comedy club. Okay. And, I, and I had to thank him because as far as I'm concerned, he's the holy grail of yeah. the name Damon being accepted in the culture. Growing up as a little kid with the name Damon, what bothered you more? Devin, Darren, Damien, Derek, or Damone? Damone probably, although <laughs> the thing that bothered me most was going to the Jersey Shore or going to a beach community or going to an amusement park and them never having your name on a keychain. Here's all the Daniels, here's all the Devins, here's all the Davids but you get to D-A-M and there is no Damon. And I was crushed as a kid. Where is my name on these keychains or these magnets? Never to be found. Now you can personalize everything. So I, my whole, all my stuff is now, it says Damon on it to, to make up for that void in my childhood. The back of the bicycle seat license plate. There you go. There you go. Exactly Broke right. My heart, the, I mean, I've, uh, first of all, <laughs> It takes a Damon to see another Damon. I feel seen for like the first time <laughs> in my life. I really do. Uh, I, I feel you, and you're so right. It's the tchotchkes that almost crushed my childhood. Right. It was the tchotchkes. Thank, thank God we can order off the rack now. Thank goodness. <laughs> hey, how'd you get to Syracuse? How'd you fall in love with radio? Because I feel like we are just on the edge of the generation. You know, if you're a guy in your 40s, you still love radio in your heart. Guy in your 30s, probably less. In your 20s or your teens, you probably never even heard of radio these days. How'd you fall in love? How'd you get to Syracuse? Well, I, I knew that sports broadcasting was something that I wanted to do since high school. And so I applied to a bunch of journalism schools in the Northeast. And um, a, a bunch of them are, are very good, Fordham and Hofstra and a number of others. And um, I applied to Syracuse because I... You know, of course, all of these great alumni came out of SU. And so it was about three and a half hours from where I grew up. And I took a, a road trip with my mom, campus visit. And it was so bleak and so gray and so freezing rain. And I was like, this doesn't look like any of the 80s movies about college that I grew up on. So <laughs> I don't think so, mom. And we drove home that day. She's like, you didn't like it, huh? I go, no, nah, I don't know. But there was something very alluring about the student radio station. When I walked into those halls, there they had the frames of the, the people that had come out of the, the student radio station, WAER. And there was Marv Albert and Bob Costas and Marty Glickman and Mike Tirico and Sean McDummough and Ian Eagle and down the list. And I was like, wow. And I applied. And... Uh, a few weeks later, I got into the journalism school, the Newhouse School, and I still was very ambivalent about this because I just, again, was like, this doesn't feel like what I thought college was going to look like. I thought there was a big green campus and the sun was out and people were carrying togas and kegs all around the place. <laughs> I got into Newhouse. You grew up with HBO. I so did I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew up wanting that to be the vision. And I got into Newhouse and my communications teacher in high school, we had a two-year program in high school, I was very lucky, said, uh, do you know where you're going to go yet? And I said, I don't know. 
And she said, well, where did you get into? And I told her the schools and I told her Syracuse. And she goes, did you get into Newhouse? I go, I did. And she said, we've never had a student at your high school, Warwick Valley High School in New York, go to Syracuse and get into that journalism school. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's pretty impactful. I could be the first from the town that I grew up in to do that. Which was what? What town did you grow up in? In Warwick, New York, which in is Warwick. about 90 minutes outside of New York City, Northwest. It's in New York. So it's it's the city would consider it upstate. We consider it da- like Buffalo right. would say it's downstate, but it's the Hudson Valley of New York. So and, I grew uh, up in Schenectady, so I know it very, okay. very, very there well. There you go. There you go. So uh, I said, let me let me try the challenge. And uh, I went to Syracuse. And so WAER, which is that student radio station, that put that that bug inside of me, that love, that passion for the theater of the mind, the craft of the word. When you follow broadcasters that know exactly the word to use, and that's the lineage, that's the legacy, it forced me to be so much better than I thought that I could be because everything mattered. And you're getting graded by guys that would go on to be pros. I mean, my... My, the people that I grew up with there or that I was in school with when I was a freshman, a senior was Adam Zucker, who was the host of the SCC on CBS. The junior class was Adam Shine, who has a huge career in sports media. Sure. Our class uh, was Corey Provis, who's the voice of the Minnesota Twins in Big Ten football and baseball or basketball and Big Ten network. And my class, the freshman class, had Andrew Catalan, who does the NFL and college basketball and golf for CBS. Carter Blackburn, who has done college football for ESPN and CBS and some others. And I was just like, I've got to be this good. But boy, when you have to be pushed like that, it really gets the best out of you. So that created the love, the real, real love of radio that I'll never shake. You know, once it's in you, it's in you forever. It's it's still the most powerful medium I think there is. Uh, a singular voice talking to a singular listener. There's a one-on-one intimacy that... You know, it's just, it's going away. I mean, media is changing. We can wax poetic about the way it was and listening to transistors. It's not happening anymore. Things are very, very different. And I think the fact that we're having this conversation on YouTube might illuminate that more than anything else. (laughs) It's true. I hope that the proliferation of podcasts is kind of a resurgence or rebirth of the spoken word and the intimacy that you're talking about. Unfortunately, there's a lot of podcasts out there that don't do it sharply that that kind of just kind of let it bleed out from all over the place and that's not what radio is radio is still a confined area you have to have posts that you hit and commercials that you get to and it has to be confined so you have to be focused you have to be clear and i think a lot of podcasts are sloppy but the ones done well i kind of i like to think that it's radio the way that radio was done in the 1940s and 1950s you know i I work for sirius xm and there is a radio classics channel that I listened to. And it's old shows that was the precursor to television shows. And so there's drama and there's comedy. And Tell there's me you sus- grew up a, a Paul suspense. Harvey fan. Were you a Paul well, Harvey fan? Well, so he's a little before my time as like right. the zeitgeist, but I of course know Paul and went back and listened to Paul after, you know, I kind of learned about him. And so all that stuff I love and I still get such a kick out of. And so I kind of hope that the best of podcasts, of which there are some very, very good ones, tap back into that. There you go. Talking about broadcasting with another Damon. Who would have thunk it? It's very cool that we can do that. And I tell you, you know, you have a love of college, which I think is going to help me not meander, but get to our next topic here, which is I want to, you know, talk about some of the topics of the day with you. 
and coming off of a national championship. So covering the 49ers, when it was time for Jim Harbaugh to go, when that divorce happened, when he got to Ann Arbor, a lot of people were like, what a disgrace, you know, to be from, to, to go from the Niners back to college, you know, he's got to be embarrassed by this. And I say, look, he's a Michigan man. He cares deeply about his alma mater. He prays at the altar of Bo Shem Beckler. As far as Jim Harbaugh is concerned, I guarantee you the Michigan Wolverines meant more to him than even the Niners did. And Niners fans didn't want to hear that. Do you think his love of Michigan keeps him? Or do you think by this time next week, we're reading about him taking an NFL job? What would you do? If I were him, I would stay because I think it's incredibly impactful to have a life at a place where you are synonymous with and win and have success and be a brand and be the program. And if I were him, I would stay there. What's the better fit? He's already topped Ohio State. He's now won the national championship. He's gone to multiple playoffs. I mean, I would ride this for the next 10, 15 years and just let this be your your final chapter. But he's not going to. He's going to the NFL. And I think that, you know, part of it is understandable. And that is, I think he looks at college sports as amateur hour. I think you're right. The bond, the dedication, the loyalty he had to Michigan brought him there. But I think this year with the suspensions on the front end of the back end, Connor Stallions and sign stealing, the Big Ten coming down midseason, and him kind of sticking out his chin going, we're innocent, we've always been innocent, this is exactly what we want, we, we revel in this, is him saying, you guys are a bunch of chumps, you guys are amateur hour. And this, I think, stems back to maybe when the COVID year, and they didn't look like they even wanted Jim around, and they didn't, they kind of cut his salary, and he was like, I'll show you, again, it's amateur hour. Look at how great I am and what I can do. So he revels in that type of thing. And I think to leave now on top is one of those, see, I did it. And now I get to go play with with the varsity again. So I think he's as good as gone, assuming he gets an opportunity. And because of what happened in San Francisco and because of what happened at Stanford and I think what has happened at times in Michigan, there might be some cold feet about giving him all the control and being his boss and how difficult that could be. But if he gets a good opportunity, I think he would have left last year for Minnesota. I think he would leave this year, uh, you know, without much reservation. You know, I think Harbaugh cares about things when he really cares about things. He really cares about those things. And I do think he cares about his student athletes, but just the quotes that he, that we saw before and after the title game where he is essentially lobbing verbal hand grenades at the NCAA, who you know he's got an ax to grind against because of the Connor Stallions and what happened before that, and he's been suspended as many games as he coached this year. It feels like he wouldn't be taking player fairness to task as hard and as publicly if he were walking back into that world, right? I don't know, because I think he does enjoy a fight. I think he's really (laughs) overzealous, and I think he loves to lean in. And so I could see him picking these fights with the NCAA, thinking all along that these guys are a bunch of bozos and still come back. But I just think that what this year has been, and, and whether you think that these are a big deal or not, he doesn't think they're a big deal. He thinks that they were 
It was a witch hunt about the recruiting violations during COVID, which got him suspended early in the season. He thinks it's stupid that they went after sign stealing with Connor Stallions. And so all of this he thinks is, again, beneath him, which is why I believe he's ready to duck out. And now that he won a championship, it makes it so much easier because he can just say mission accomplished. I did what I set out to do. And now, you know, I, I, ha- I don't have to worry about uh, having something left incomplete. What do you think of those one-seated Niners, and where do you come down on the uh, topic of our time, Mr. Brock Purdy himself? Well, as far as the Niners go, I really think this is a this is a two-horse race in the NFL for a championship, and that's the Niners and Ravens. Doesn't guarantee that's the Super Bowl matchup, but I just think the Niners have all season long, besides that three-game losing streak, been such head and shoulders above everybody in the NFC. Obviously, we've seen the Eagles crumble. So there's no, there's not a fair fight there. We've seen what the what the Niners have done to the Cowboys the last two postseasons and this year in the regular season. That's not a fair fight either. The rest of the NFC is the NFC South winner, a couple of wild cards. I mean, nothing that the Lions do not present to me a, an an equal challenge to the Niners of the NFC. So unless something goes horribly awry, the Niners are in in Vegas for the Super Bowl. What we've seen from the Ravens is they are the equal to the Niners. What we saw on Christmas night was they they can they can do that fight. They're, they're ready for that fight. The question is, can Lamar win these two football games? And anything less than getting to the Super Bowl is a huge failure for the Ravens. But in the AFC, I think that there is a it's a closer a bunching in the AFC. You know, that Browns team. Is, is not an easy matchup for anybody because of how good Flacco's playing and how great their defense is. The Bills right now are an incredible hot streak. They didn't look great for most of that game Sunday night, but when it mattered, they got the job done. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. And if you say Chiefs at Baltimore for an AFC championship game or what have you, is there anybody that says there's no way Mahomes can win that football game? Of course not. So there are ways for the Ravens to lose. But anything less than a trip to the Super Bowl is a massive, massive, massive failure for the Ravens because this is set up right now for them. As far as Purdy, there's such an extreme on this that I land somewhere in between. And I just think that's just where reasonable people sit. And it's like, is he the is he the biggest fraud of all time? Of course not. There's reads and throws that he makes that you have to be good to make. Is he the league MVP? Absolutely not. There is no way for me to believe that he is the only quarterback that can do that. He is in a great situation, and he's crushing it there, and that's all that needs to be said. But the people that say he's wildly underrated or the people that say he's wildly overrated, to me, reality is always somewhere in between with Purdy. I will say this. I agree with your reasonable stance, and it feels a little little early to have him in an MVP conversation but if i put his exact numbers next to the name aaron Rodgers, the debate would be over it'd be aaron Rodgers's mvp probably unanimous it would be a and, and i know aaron is a little more famous for other things right now but i'm just saying that if you took this man's statistics and put him next to a name that people were comfortable hearing mvp next to that guy would be your MVP. If you gave Lamar Brock Purdy's numbers, he's a unanimous MVP. I I don't disagree. I, I, I think your point is a good one, but I would say this. Who 
if you had to play a Super Bowl and one guy gets injured in the NFC Championship game, Brock Purdy or Christian McCaffrey, who do you prefer is the guy that gets injured? Having just gone through the Sam Darnold experience, I'll tell you, Christian McCaffrey might be the skeleton key that unlocks it all, but I'm taking the quarterback. I mean, that's, you, you, you cannot substitute a quarterback here. A running back can get hot for three games, two games. See, if I'm going into the Super Bowl and I got either Sam Darnold and Christian McCaffrey or Brock Purdy and no Christian McCaffrey, I think I'm taking McCaffrey and, and Darnold, and I like my chances. So even the fact that it's a debate is why I, I hesitate to, to say that Purdy is an MVP because how many quarterbacks could you plug into the Niners situation and feel like they are just as good, if not better? I think there's a bunch of quarterbacks you could say that about with, with the Niners. So if you are willing to admit that, then let me give you this litmus test. Without a Super Bowl one, are you willing to admit that Kyle Shanahan is one of the greatest coaches in the NFL right now, Lombardi or not? Yeah. Because if any quarterback could come in here and do what Brock is doing, then I guess like I'm really surprised we haven't seen it from Darnold. Jimmy Garoppolo never operated at this level of efficiency. Nick Mullins can hardly play in the league without Shanahan whispering in his ear, even though he gets a lot of yards. I'll give him that. C.J. Beathard kind of gone and forgotten. Uh, Blaine Gabbert didn't exactly light the world on fire with Kyle Shanahan's system. So, you know, I, I to me, if you want to say Brock's not ready to be anointed as it, can we compliment the system a little bit more if that is so responsible for everyone's success? Because it feels like whenever Kyle comes up, he is the only offensive coordinator in football history solely responsible for a Super Bowl loss. I've never heard it put on, on, on the head coach of the Falcons. It's always been Kyle's fault, which is odd because Kyle didn't give up, what, a 23-point lead or whatever it was, 28-3? to um, It's a 25-point lead. You know, it, you'd think the defensive coordinator would have caught the heat there. I think those who say Shanahan must have a Lombardi to be great, well, then how come this offense is pretty great if any quarterback could just come in and be great in it? If you go back and watch that Super Bowl, there's a bevy of play calls that are just head scratching. And you oh, go, there are. I'll if, give you that. I'll give you if, that. I'll give it to you. Kyle Look, Shanahan. But, but let me say this. That being said, Kyle Shanahan is easily one of the best coaches of the NFL and easily one of the best architects of an offense. And the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo, who is a step below Purdy, no doubt about it, and I don't want anybody to think that I think Brock Purdy is the 20th best quarterback in the NFL, but there is a, there's a significant gap between Purdy and Garoppolo. Purdy's much better. But the fact that he got Garoppolo into a Super Bowl with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and another NFC Championship game says to me that, yes, Shanahan's architecture on an offense and play calling is is bar none the best in the NFL. I really believe that. And, and that as great as Purdy's play has been, he is a derivative of what greatness lies in that that scheme that, that Shanahan's cooked up. You know, a lot of guys who get labeled as East Coast guys, I don't even bother getting into like specific granular West Coast topics because you can hear in their answers often, of course, they pay attention to the highlights and the box score, but they're not really watching the game. You've struck me as something other than that. As I, I hope you don't mind me putting an East Coast on you, but it is where you operate from. No, and I know I hear you. got that around you. But what one of the reasons I really reached out to you today, besides 
I, I think we have an awful lot in common in our careers beyond our name, um, is that you are one of the few people locally, nationally, it doesn't even matter the location, you are one of the few people, Damon, who understand the crime that has happened against fans of the Oakland A's and what an absolute shyster charlatan we have in John Fisher as an unaccountable owner, son of a rich guy, every every bad movie you ever saw on HBO with the kid who was the preppy school with the sweater tied around bad guy, like that's John Fisher. And you are all over a topic that is either uncared about or ignored by most. Why? Well, so there's a part of this that is lost on me as well because it's so obvious that what is happening is a sham that I can't believe other people don't see it except for I think that people don't care enough to see it. I think part of it's a baseball problem. If this was happening in the NFL, more people, more eyes, more critical thinking, more talking heads would be focused on the granular nature of it. Because it's baseball, a lot of people just kind of like throw their hands up and they see it from afar. But the reason that I see how how shyster all of this is, what, what the crime is, is I think because I've always felt as though franchise relocation's always been a gambit. It's always been, you know, kind of three-card Monty, where the owners pretend like they don't have the money for the stadium or the ballpark, and so they say, well, we can't do it here, really just looking for the next municipality who will pay them the money that they could pay themselves if they wanted to stay. And it was the Browns leaving Cleveland, and it was the Oilers leaving Houston, and go down the list of them that always bothered me. They always bother me. This one in particular bothers me, though, because of what I think is just this this incredibly naive slash slanted slash um, ignorant take of, well, everybody left the Bay Area. And I'm just like, that's not true. And it's not, it's not real. It's not reality to say that the A's are just following the lead of the Raiders and just following the lead of the Warriors. And the fact that it just keeps getting lumped in there is like, so we're just going to ignore the fact that there's so many differences and that John Fisher is effing John Fisher. And I don't need to go into all the details for your audience. They know it inside and out. But the fact that these all get lumped together, to me, there's a part of this that's just people like to see the Bay Area be marked down or have a black eye or lose something, perhaps politically, perhaps socially. There's just something there that just gets warped about this conversation. Like if this was happening in Indianapolis, I don't think people would be so gleeful of seeing teams leave. But number, right. two, number two, the Warriors didn't leave. I hate when people say this. Well, the war, no, they stayed in the market. And that's the point. The market, the Bay Area, as you know, is the 10th largest media market in America. They're going to go to Vegas, which makes them the smallest media market in Major League Baseball. This is one of the wealthiest markets in America. Why would you leave one of the wealthiest to go to one of the least wealthy in terms of professional sports? And the fact that people can't connect these dots, it's like, well, Nobody's thinking about this. And then you add the John Fisher thing where he's always hid and he's never spoken. And those are things that I understand people outside of the Bay Area might not dig into understanding. But I mean, once you just start doing a little bit of research, you're like, oh, wait, this is a 
total sham. The whole thing's a sham. And the fact that it's not called out that way by everybody is really depressing to me. It really is. You can look at this through the prism of the move to Las Vegas. And all of that is fascinating and convoluted and ugly and interesting and dull all at the same time. Or you can really get into the story that I think is one of the least covered stories in baseball history, which is the systematic, intentional sabotaging of a franchise by an owner. It's straight out of the plot of Major League. It truly, truly is. And you get it. So many others haven't seen it or even thought about it. And you get it. And I want you to know that even though you feel like an East Coast guy, look, talk, and sound like one, too, you have a pocket of fans out here, Damon, that absolutely adore you for this, that care that you care about them, because so few do, to the point where there is a group of A's fans who are putting on their own fan fest for a team that doesn't love them back, but they're still that awesome and committed, and I know that they even that they're inviting us at the same time, because they're like, hey, you're both Damons, you both get it. But that's how much your understanding of this topic is appreciated out here. It's not a huge pocket of people. Obviously, when you're talking to A's fans, you're not searching for clicks. You know, I mean, it's, it's a very boutique topic. But um, you are a boutique shopper and a VIP shopper in this topic. And so few are. And I want you to know people appreciate you for it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, for the audience out there that are A's fans that feel like they're being held at gunpoint and nobody understands them, I, I really empathize with this. And I don't I don't understand the people that just assume that A's fans don't care. And maybe it's because I grew up in the 80s and I watched the Bash Brothers and I watched those great teams every year in the World Series fill up the Coliseum. But it never felt to me like that was an apathetic baseball town. It always looked to me on TV watching those games and the playoffs and the World Series that there was this incredible A's fan base. And when I went to Syracuse and my freshman floor, uh, two of my friends were both A's fans. They had come from the Bay Area to study journalism and, uh, and business at SU. And so I was around A's fans there and I could see their passion. And it never it always struck me as ridiculous, this this assumption that nobody cared and so the idea that anybody should go to the coliseum is a joke the idea that anybody should care for a team that doesn't care for them back is a joke and the fact that i get all of these dms and all of these at messages on twitter about thanks for saying something thanks so much you totally get it i'm like how are these people not being heard i hear it every day on twitter the moment that i say something on the radio i put something on twitter i put something on youtube it's like they're obviously there. The fact that they're completely ignored is really offensive to me. And it's like also 60 years of baseball doesn't matter. They won three straight in the 70s. They went to three straight World Series in the 80s and 90s. They have some of the most iconic teams and players ever, and they don't matter. Like this isn't the Expos. This isn't a team. This isn't the Marlins or the Rays. This team has mattered for a long time during stretches in baseball history. And it just, it flummoxes me that people don't understand why it matters and that this needs to be stopped. And, um, I don't know. I I, I tell everybody this that reaches out to me um, from all these great uh, fan groups. 
I'd love to come out for FanFest. I would have loved to come out to the, the reverse boycott last year, but nothing was really working on my schedule. We just had a baby in May. But I really want to come out to a game uh, this season. And I, I've circled a few dates to try to get out there because I want to feel you know, what everybody else is feeling because I care a lot about this. And people have been so kind and warm to me and thankful that I'm like, the least I can do is fly out there and see a game or two and hang out with everybody and have a few fish tacos or whatever. So I'm going to try to make it work. But um, it means a lot that everybody has, has said so many supportive things of the things that I've said. Let's make it a multi-Damon, multi-media event. Let's do love that it. this summer. Love it. I love it. Yeah, there, I'll, I'll I, give you some of the dates. Yeah. I think we just put a plan together. By the way, how's fatherhood treating you? Tell us about uh, uh, baby, baby time. Uh, baby AJ was born in May, and so my summer was gone in an instant. But uh, what I say is that being a first-time dad teaches you to be – flexible in your offense. You take what the defense gives you. If it's the bottle that he needs that day, fine. If it's a little tummy time he needs that day, fine. If he wants to take a little bit more uh, sleeping or one more nap, two, one fewer nap, whatever, you have to be ready to be flexible and nimble. And uh, you cannot be too steady and too stubborn. And so it teaches you all of that. It teaches me that I drive around a lot to keep him sleeping in the back of the car because we need him to have that nap time. Um, but it's amazing. It's like the greatest challenge and the greatest gift of all time to be a dad. And, uh, I've loved it, but it puts your, br your brain in a blender right from day one. Absolutely. And you're like, Whoa, wow. I didn't, it, well, of course you can't know what to expect, but you really get thrown into the wilderness when you have your first child and you're like, Whoa, what is this about? And I'll tell you, if, if you plan on having another, I have two, a four-year-old named Jack, a two-year-old named Ozzy. And all I can tell you is that at two, it's more than just two. It sounds like, oh, let's just have another. It's a force multiplier of at least <laughs> one and a half. And I would describe fatherhood going from a level of wonderment to a level of relentless is when, when you and the second one becomes in it. But it is wonderful. I'm glad you're in the club. Again, let's talk more about, how about this? Let's do this long before you decide to come on out to an A's game. Let's do this again. It was great talking with you, Damon. Anyone who wants to listen to you on Mad Dog, tell everyone the lowdown, where to find you. Uh, elevator pitch yourself. Plug away. All right. I'm on weekday mornings on Mad Dog Sports Radio, which is channel 82, the flagship sports radio channel on Sirius XM. So you can find me in the mornings, the DA show with Babchick. And uh, we're weekday mornings, 6 until 9 Eastern time. But if that's too early for your audience on the West Coast, Obviously, there's the rewind function um, and the full episodes are available uh, via the SiriusXM app as well for the rest of the day. So you can always catch me there. And um, on my YouTube page, I, I've always put stuff on the YouTube page. And um, I just actually, the John Fisher thing was something that really struck a nerve with me again, one of the most recent uh, pieces of news. And I said... I'm just putting a video out there right now out of my home studio and I'm because I'm just venting on this and it caught like fire and everybody was reaching out to me and the comments were awesome. And I was just said, you know, I should keep doing this with more videos. So I I've done a couple of A's videos. I just did one on, on, uh, you know, the Las Vegas state senator that went off on A's fans on Twitter, which was the single most unprofessional thing I've seen in a long time. So I'm kind of putting together a bunch of videos on YouTube. So if you want to follow me, subscribe to my channel uh, on YouTube. Find me there, Damon Amendo or Damon Amendolara. Each one should take it to my uh, YouTube channel and subscribe there. And I'll keep putting out more videos about the A's and, and other stuff that kind of uh, that tickles my fancy on a daily basis.
Good guy who's good at what you do. That's harder and harder to find in this business. Keep it up, Damon. Uh, and 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 keep keep building. You know that brand name, that just sport Damon name. Very yes. important to at least two of us. Yes. So keep up the good work, brother. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. And if I get Damon Stoudemire on, I'll let you know. Or Damon Wayans, I guess. We're trying to find that Mount Rushmore of Damons. So uh, you need a Damon Miner, former you know multiple team catcher. You need Damon Miner, and of course. You know, from my alma mater, Indiana, you, you need Damon Bailey. Damon Bailey's a good one. Damon Heward's a good one. We have them out there. We just need to maybe get together. After the A's stay, we'll do a convention for just Damon's, and then we'll rally around that. The Damon Summit. Makes, <laughs> yeah. makes, God have mercy on us all. <laughs> Thank you, Damon. All right. See you, bud. There he is. Damon Amendolora, fantastic guy, fantastic broadcaster. And uh, like I, I said, he did the video about the A's that he's talking about and the state assemblyman or the senator or whatever from Nevada. It was just so on point and it, it, it spoke to me and I don't know anybody else who was out there who is on this topic who isn't like sitting on top of this topic because they either live in Las Vegas or in Oakland or in the Bay Area or are around this topic. He, he gets it. There's a guy who absolutely gets it, and he doesn't talk at the fan. He talks to the fan. I've been a fan of his for a while. We met at a WFAN Christmas party or something. I don't even remember what it was. It was around the holidays, I think. Um, but it was the first time we ever came face-to-face. -face. And when you meet someone, you start leaning into their careers a little bit more. And that guy's a good host. Full stop. He's good at what he does. And in a world of amateur hour out there, just keeping a, a gig in radio these days. Like, forget about being even good at it. The fact that you're still in radio these days is a race that a lot of good, talented people lose. So good on him, man. It's, it's, it's nice to see another Damon flourishing, if you don't mind me saying. So let me go ahead and uh, tell everyone that we want to thank very, very much our sponsors, as always. My guy, Ike, is just one of the best, one of the guys out there who's supporting me from the get-go. We thank Ike. Uh, get yourself an Ike sandwich. If you missed it for lunch today, get it for lunch tomorrow. If you want the easiest dinner that you could think about picking up, use that Ike's Reward app. Chances are they deliver. Think about it for catering at your office. As always, if you need a burger, get yourself to Uncle Boy's. That's my boy in the inner rich. You need a burger, you get yourself one right there. And if you need a new knee, go see Dr. Paul Hughes, who's sponsoring Post Game and Damon. Go to orthopedicsurgeries.com. If you want to avoid an orthopedic surgery and get stem cell replacement, oh my God, if you use the code HUNTER when you call in, it's 50% off your procedure, which is no small amount of money. But that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves the procedure that he is a master of. And let me tell you, love you guys for coming on back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the product that is. And uh, got some more stuff coming throughout the day. We'll be back at it at 11 a.m. West Coast time on Damon Bruce Plus. In the meantime, as I tell you always, sports don't build character. They reveal it.